Welcome everybody to the Forever Classic Podcast. It is April 3rd, 2022, and I am Joe Seamson, one of your esteemed hosts here at Forever Classic Games, and I am once again glad to be joined by fellow host, Zach. How's it going? It's going good. I'm a little sore today. Landscaping is a whole new whole new beast for the, the year. You had sent some pictures and it was just like a lot of rocks. <laughs> yeah. So we bought a 3,000 pound pallet of stone. Like that flat old timey like stacked wall stone uh, that vary from like thin to kind of thick, but not like the uniform pavers or anything people would use. Yeah. So you're like looking at these pieces and trying to figure out the best way to like put them together so that they make something cohesive. Yeah. So basically we started with the circle. We dug out a chunk of all the grass, uh, put it down a bit, tamped the ground, put the ring of rocks around it, and then started from the center and made our spiral. And what we're going to do is we're going to make that go up about three feet tall and it's going to circle rocks up. So we have this like really nice, pretty rock spiral that we're going to plant herbs around. Oh, cool. So we're going to start with the ones that need like all day sun and sort of thing up at the top and rotate them around it to where the ones that don't necessarily need all day sun will be more on the hidden from the sun side for the part of the day that they really won't get it. Uh, and it'll help kind of irrigate itself down. Hopefully, everything should work well, and then we get nice fresh herbs growing again this year. We've been we've had good success with like basil's and thymes, and uh, some success with cilantro. Got some good success with mint, but now we're gonna just try a whole bunch of other things this year, especially because we're making this whole space just for that. And then along our uh, fence line, we're gonna try to do the like just stone planters. So we'll just stack them up, squared off, and then it'll come back and we'll tear us up one layer of stuff and come back up and just kind of go up our yard like that. Nice. Yeah, so I'm not we've we've got some landscaping we need to do, but we're not there yet. There's so many projects we need to do. But we do have like raised garden beds and last summer we took all of our yard debris and I had put together using some pallets that the previous owners just left behind. I put together like a compost bin. And so I threw all of our yard debris into this compost bin and so it's just been sitting there since last summer. And it's like half the size it was like that's how much it has like broken down in that time the only real concern is that it's a lot of pine needles and that can i guess produce fairly acidic compost but we do have a fire pit and ashes can help bring that closer to neutral so i think if we just stir in all the ashes from the fire pit because that should be cleaned out anyway it might might do us a little bit of good uh, so hopefully True. we can get some food growing this year. Or I think I had two tomato plants last year, and by the time everything was ripe, things had gotten to it already. And so I think I maybe harvested a single tomato. It was very, <laughs> it was heartbreaking. Yeah, I hope we get some good tomatoes going this year. We had a lot of grape ones, so we're gonna aim for like the the normal fist sized tomatoes this year. That would be sweet. But yeah, we're here to talk about other things, though. I think. I, don't, I think so. I don't. Are we? Are we suddenly a gardening and landscaping podcast that I I didn't know about? We are multifaceted nerds. It's whatever we want it to be, is what it it's is. It's true. This is true. We can be just as nerdy about gardening as we are about games. <laughs> That's probably true. There's some like <laughs> I definitely know people that like really dig into like gardening books and tips and try different like irrigation and stuff. At, in the same way that I like pour over like a D and D rule book. Yeah, I'm not. We're not quite as strict on it yet because we we haven't gotten that far. You know, year one was what happens. Year two was let's try this thing and see if it works. So we kind of know what does and doesn't, at least from what we've tried. And now this year will be build up what works, try a few other things and see if they stick against the wall or not, and then kind of rinse and repeat. Keep keep doing the good and then keep re like doing stuff with the soil. Cause we'll have to start doing like actual like soil work. Yeah. So I think it's time for everyone's favorite bit. Joe presents a, an idea of it's brilliant, but it, it wouldn't really work in real life. This one, this one could maybe it's not a, it's not a terrible idea, but I just don't have an avenue in which to like execute said idea. Is it, are you, are you like me in that there's a mug, like a coffee mug in the house that is your favorite yes yeah i think that's true of a lot of people there's a there's a uh, there's a mug that they consider basically theirs it's like it's not technically theirs anyone can use it but if it's available you will use it over every other mug and i think Mm -hmm. that's true of a lot of people 
Now, you don't see him as much anymore, but for a long time, I think the same was for shot glasses. I believe like, so, yeah, people, yeah. People... people would, like, collect and gather shot glasses, and they, they would have their favorite daily shot glass or whatever for, the like, coming in from a hard day's work or whatever, and you'd grab your, your whiskey and grab, a shot, grab your shot glass and, and kick it back. What if we combined the two and made tiny little mugs for shots? And called them mug shots. It sounds really fun, actually. <laughs> like you got this this little thing. Now I presented this idea to Alex off stream, off recording, because I knew he wasn't gonna be here. And he said, Joe, those already exist. It's called an espresso. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's a mug shot. <laughs> but you could do something where like you get you like buy like a pack and it's got a big regular mug. And a tiny little mug and they're like got the same design on it or whatever or a complementary design and they go together so you could like very easily do like what's the what's the like you take like the baileys like cream cream liqueur or whatever and drop it in oh the irish car bombs yeah you could do something like that with this like set called a mug shot or whatever where you get a mug and a shot <laughs> that's fair I'm also realizing that pretty much 99% of all of my ideas are just bad puns. <laughs> <laughs> that's just fine. That's that's perfect for us. You know what's not a bad pun, though? Our Patreon. Mm, this is true. If you head on over to patreon.com slash games, right? You can give us money. You don't really get anything yet because we're still building it. But if you like what we do, you want to support us in, in just a small way, you can definitely do that through Patreon. And when, as, soon as, as soon as there are rewards available, you would have access to them. We can probably even come up with something for like early backers before there were rewards, get an extra reward in the future of some sort. But if mm -hmm. that's something you would like to do to help us out, we would really super appreciate it. All the money that we receive goes straight back into improving audio improving site design and layout buying other equipment or games or things that you guys want to see on stream so yeah patreon.com slash forever classic games and then our last announcement is later this month alex is heading to pax he's going to be in boston for like four or five days he found uh found a group to stay with while he was there for a decent price so he's really looking forward to it it's an in going to be interesting though because it seems like a lot of the bigger hitters like a lot of the triple a studios are not going to be present yet at cons and so this is an opportunity for some like indie titles to maybe take the lead of the news cycle because they're they're going to be on the floor. But it also could end up being like a really low turnout because there isn't those big big draw parties to like bring bring in the 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 people. But maybe maybe a smaller con is kind of what's in order. Maybe that that'll be kind of uh, more homey or comfortable. I don't know. Looking forward to that, but if if you want to connect with, if you're going to PAX and want to connect with Alex, definitely reach out to us on social media, and I'm sure Alex would love to meet up with you. Oh, for sure. I think Alex will be having a blast. Yeah. It's going to be, it, hopefully it ends up being a good trip, and like you said, I really hope that there's some good indies that get to like, kind of be this like forerunner, whether they intended to or not. Yeah. So, what have you been playing? Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. That's it. <laughs> How is it so far? Like, what what are what are some specific things that you're really liking about it? Uh, it plays really well. So I didn't play three, mostly because I didn't have time. I had a lot of other stuff going on. So I basically just skipped it, which is kind of sad. It was pretty cool. I missed a lot of things for the story, so I've got to, like, read up on it. But all of my friends that have, well, I've played Borderlands with since basically one and, like, the early parts of two... Uh, have all basically agreed that two's like the Borderlands game. Like it's definitely the top of the things. Got the most fun DLC, most fun stuff to do in it, and then they kind of cascade down. But we've definitely plugged in Wonderlands right below two. Very cool. And this is before any DLC, any other tweaks they do. It's really early on in the cycle, so we're having high hopes that it is it matches two in our love of everything playing and then maybe even could pass it depending on how long they want to run with it and how much they want to do with it because it's a blast right now we just started doing end game stuff so the end game is chaos dungeons so you get this basically like an instance you get to go into you get to farm random gear it puts you in like three random battles a mini boss three random battles a boss boss there are some secret bosses that you can unlock maybe if you complete their like little mini puzzles and if they even show up they're all random 
Okay. So you can fight three mini bosses at the end of the game after you've finished everything, but before the end of the run. So if you fail at the bosses, you fail everything. So you also kind of oh. have to like you if you fail the run, you don't get anything. So just completing it and getting out gets you your cool goodies, your extra gear. Fighting the bosses gets you a lot more, but it's also more risk of just not getting anything. And if you activate more than one boss, they go boss done, next boss start. Like there's no in between, no downtime, no changing room. Well, it changes the room, but you don't get to do anything. It just it, you're okay. you're in the fight. There's no pause. You're you're just in the next boss fight. And then there's the super secret boss, which we haven't unlocked yet, although we were really close. You beat all three bosses, and then you got to fight the fourth super extra hard boss at the end. Oh, good. And it's and the pop culture references are on point. I've missed a few things playing through, but my favorite one right now has been a reference to One Piece because oh. of the uh, the snails when they make phone calls. Yeah. I cannot do the sound justice. <laughs> but uh, in each zone, there's like a, a rune puzzle you have to you find, and it's really just kind of like a, a time to go fetch and grab these three things, like run through the zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you get to this zone with a bunch of pirates and you find it, Tina announces that there's a rune puzzle that you're nearby by saying puzzle, puzzle, puzzle in the phone sound of the snail phones from One Piece. Hmm. And it's just, I didn't catch it the first time because I was in such a rush. But when I went back through and was kind of doing side quest stuff, I got it. And I was like, yes, I was like, that's excellent. That's hilarious. Is there anything you like don't really like about it or like it's kind of falling short? Um, I'm I'm really loving it, like way overall. But um, I have one problem that I don't know if it's a me problem because I've had it in every game I've ever played that requires me to, like, move a lot. Because <laughs> I get stuck on the environment, like, all of it. Like, in old Call of Duty Ghost, there was one piece of rebar that was, like, just a texture on the ground. Not even a wall. Like, not even, like, a change height, like, going over it. And I would just get stuck on it. And that's <laughs> happened. that happens to me constantly in Tiny Tina's, though. Like, I'll just... But I'll get stuck on, like, actual environment that I should be moving over. Interesting. But that's just... Always be jumping? Have, yeah. In, in place. Because <laughs> I'm stuck. There you go. <laughs> but it's uh, it's great. There's... Other people have other complaints. But honestly, it's not... It's not got a whole lot of like negative heat. People are kind of sad that it was short, but there's a lot of DLC coming. Reception has been better than three. Like coming off, but I think coming off of two with how good it was considered, three had a lot of like expectations on it, and so when it didn't meet those, I think it hurt people more. Like hurt its reception a little bit more. Now coming off of three, Wonderlands has got a good reception coming off of that low bar kind of taste. But it seems like it's a really fun spin on the formula of, like, a fantasy setting, but with the same still, like, looter-shooter gameplay and kind of, like, snarky sense of humor and whatnot. Yeah. Wanda Sykes' Fret the Robot is hilarious. Listening to her just go on and on with, like, D&D tabletop banter is top-notch. So I think I, when you were streaming it, I think I asked this. Is is Will Arnett a voice in it as well? Because there's someone that sounded a lot like him. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the Dark Lord. Okay. So he's he's the BBEG. Got it. Okay, I'm like, I sounded familiar, and I think I asked it in the, the stream, but then I had to leave. So if you answered the question, I didn't hear it. <laughs> I did. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah that's, that's totally him. So that spell I was casting was like uh, one of the pre-order things. But it just gives you his voice line, and he's just, he constantly berates you. He's like, you got all my power. He's like, and you're doing this? <laughs> For me, I finally wrapped up on Persona 4 Golden on the PlayStation Vita. Very fun game. I'm really glad that I finally played a Persona game. It's funny that I started with 4 and not 5 when 5 is, like, the one that everyone's always talking about. I have a weird history with the Persona games in the sense that in college, I had some friends that I would visit. And there was like four of them sharing like an apartment. And anytime I was over there, at least one of those people, at least one of those four was playing, I think, Persona 3 at the time. And it was always only the parts where they were just going to school and choosing who they were going to hang out with after school or who, what, the, like, what club, like, oh, I'm going to go to basketball practice. I'm like, 
what is this video game? This seems terrible. Like, I already am not, like, a huge fan of, like, The Sims. And this is even <laughs> less engaging than The Sims because it's just portraits of characters popping up and saying voice dialogues and stuff. But I've heard a lot of, like, universal acclaim about Persona 4, so I finally give it a shot. It's got some excellent writing. Like, there is, like, a, a mystery at the core of it that's really, really good as you try to, on like, find the truth of it all that's really, like, the core of the story is every things aren't what they seem seek truth and so you kind of got to get to the center of this like this murder mystery that's happening in this like small rural japanese town and you are there because your parents are working abroad and you can't just stay home by yourself so they send you to live with your uncle and as it goes it's you kind of like you meet these people you meet these different characters and they really endear themselves to you and then there's like the dungeon parts where you're going through these dungeons where people are facing the truth within themselves, their various fears or maybe embarrassing parts of their personalities that they're trying to squish down. And they like, like there's this like weakness and like there's like weakness, like gameplay tier part of it where like if you hit somebody with a weakness or a critical hit, it knocks them down. If they get knocked down, you can do a rush attack and everyone all like piles on like the, the enemies and things like that. So there's a lot of like playing around with that. But by the end, you like you really feel for most of these characters. Two of the characters I was not a fan of and I basically didn't interact with them at all because basically everything out of their mouths, I just found cringy and was kind of demeaning to the women and girls. Clearly just like objects of desire for this one character. And then the other one is just like basically a child who is feeding off of the other character. And it's just like, ugh. But then you also have characters like Nanako, who's like your little cousin, who's like seven. And she's just so adorable. And maybe that's some bias from me being a dad. I was like, I need to protect this little girl at all costs. Um, <laughs> and so like, you know, there's like in a lot of like games, there's like romance options and things like that. But yeah, I, I overall really, really enjoyed it. And a uh, huge shout out to our mutual friend and member of the forever classic uh, discord uh rakimdar pointed out to me that there's another thing to do like i thought the game had ended but to get the true ending you have to like it's kind of tricky it's telling you that it's time to go but you say no and then you go back and you unlock another scene at a, like you even when you try to go there it's like there's really nothing you can do here are you sure you want to go and it's so it's like really like baiting you into not going and so you finally you say yes you push your push through to to go and then you unlock like the the whole thing like every jrpg the trope that the real evil was something else the whole time and <laughs> It adds like another four or five hours of gameplay and content. And so I think the story bits of like, you see a little bit more of character interaction. I thought that was really valuable. But in terms of like adding to the story, I actually thought it was a worse story because of it. I actually really appreciated it when it was grounded in... You, you find out who's behind these murders and you find like it felt very self-contained and all this stuff. And then suddenly you're fighting God. And I'm like, what? Like, like <laughs> I was about to give this game props for not fighting God because that you do that in so many games in particular JRPGs. But I don't think I said anything too spoilery. So if that all sounds great to you, definitely check it out. I'll murder mystery with teenagers getting to know each other and unlock like a, a lot of it is built around building relationships with various people and so there's that huge element to there and it impacts how well they perform in combat and so then then there's like this kind of monster collecting mechanic as well as you unlock more and more personas to use in at your disposal Finishing that up, I was going to jump into another JRPG because I'm sitting on two Shin Megami Tensei games, three and five. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe before I dive into another crazy long JRPG, I'm going to do something a little bit different. So I actually am going to, I'm back into control. I'm going to finish that up because that's going to be a shorter experience, way different gameplay. On the uh, RTX 3070 Ti, it cranks. It looks really, really good most of the time. But every now and then, some textures don't load in at full res. And so, like, you'll be looking at a piece of paper, like, on a desk, and it will just be, like, someone compressed a JPEG way down. 
and then like you'll look at it again later and it'll have finally loaded in and it's like super crisp and you can like read the words on the page <laughs> but it's as a huge fan of the like the x-files this has some strong x-files vibes as you're like wandering around this like government facility dedicated to observing and studying like paranormal phenomena um so there's like these different like objects and stuff that you come across that are center points of the these things like at one point you go to this place and there's just like a light switch string just hanging there and you pull it and suddenly you're in a hotel like it's just like full of these like weird experiences and i i and it's also a mystery game so apparently that's the mood i'm in as you like uncover what's going on with this facility and stuff like that control was great i the only thing i haven't played of it is the alan wake expansion and okay. I think that's the yeah, important Yeah, I knew that it was one. connected in some ways, and I don't think I have the DLC. Yeah, so I don't I have, have it yet. I'm going to get it eventually, but it's great. And then Alex put in here that he's been playing Dawn of the Monsters, which is a kaiju-based like, beat-em-up. And uh, I didn't really see him playing it at all, but I could hear him play it, and it sounded like he was having a blast. So just giggling and laughing with the person that he was playing it with. So keep an eye out for Dawn of the Monsters. We should be having a review up here pretty soon, I think, is the plan from Alex. So we've got that. So we've coming up on the next portion, various gaming, current events, and news. What do you got for us, Zach? I guess to start everything off, E3's canceled completely again. Now this one, I'd seen people slowly pulling back on it here and there. Like we'd seen, I want to say last week or the week before, I'd seen them talk about like canceling or people started pulling out of it or canceling pieces of it early. Uh, And it just sounded like the whole thing was going to just go downhill again. Because E3's not been able to be open in what, like four years? Something like that. I think maybe they tried to do a digital one in there that didn't do very well. I think this will be the fourth year that we haven't had a full E3 experience. Maybe. I don't remember exactly. But I was a little bit surprised to see it because it seems like maybe it's because E3 was already kind of a dying like project. Like to the point that other studios were hosting their own cons like across the street. Yeah, I remember watching. I remember because... Devolver Digital or something got into a thing with them and they gave them some flack. So they put their own booth across the street to do their own. And it was so, so good. Yeah. Well, basically, I think what happened was is that the prices for their booths were more expensive than to just rent out the convention building across the street or something like that. And it was just like, well, you're going to have a bunch of gamers walking by across the street anyway. For this price, what if we just did our own little thing which is smart of them because as much as e3 was like a staple for like us growing up yeah like it, it like became back way to like less needed leading up to like 2006 e3 like right before the playstation 3 came out that mid 2000s era was like peak excitement for e3 for me because I remember every year just, like, tuning in to, like, the various, like, YouTube videos and web broadcasts of the of the event and reading news and, like, seeing the reveal, like, seeing the reveal of, like, the banana PlayStation 3 controller and, like, things like that. Like, all of that is, like, ingrained into my memory as a part of my history with video games. But it just seems like the hype around this event has gone down so much. And it, some of it might be because there really isn't anything, like, part of the competition back then was innovation. And now almost every console is pretty much the same. Yeah. And at that time, like, communications were still, like, they weren't awful, but they weren't what they are today. Like, yeah, there was anybody, a... anybody can digitally produce their own content. Like, yeah, you know, look at us, bozos. Short, and, you know, you're looking at things <laughs> like TikTok and stuff. Those are very easy to do after you've learned it. And if you have people in your studio dedicated to doing some like stuff like that, why pay out the ass to go do that when you could just produce the content and just do it? And that's what they're doing because everybody has access to it now. You know, overarchingly, not everybody, but yeah. most people. Nintendo's got their Nintendo Direct. Sony's got State of Play. Uh, even individual studios have been doing like i think yacht club did like a yacht club presents type thing larian studios have regular updates and streams with updates to progress on Baldur's gate 3 yeah a lot of these people are taking this into their own hands and as a result players are just players that are interested in that specific studio or in that specific like brand show up and watch it rather than tuning in all week or at a specific time to try and find out when 
you know, it's what Sony's got this year. You can Sony can kind of put down this is what we're doing anytime. They don't need like a specialized like event to do it. They don't need to bring in like they don't need to appeal to the like the journalism side of gaming to cover it for them because they can just cover it themselves and journalists get the same get the info at the same time as everybody else yeah so yeah i think honestly like because uh even in this article they talk about like taking a a step back and seeing if everybody's really hungry for that classic e3 experience and i think while people would enjoy something like that it's obsolete so here's the here's the thing e3 changed a lot over the years particularly in the last like 10 years it became much more corporatized it became much more they really i think they opened it to the public so it wasn't just gaming personalities and journalism and things like that it wasn't it became a much more inclusive event rather than exclusive event it was no longer for people in the industry it was for anybody and i think that's where like the big change came while now while they're already kind of in a break due to the pandemic now might be the time to reconsider if we come back what does that look like and how do we execute it successfully like rather than rushing i i, I think if they're going to come back this is the right call let's wait and and see let's spend time tr- if we're going to come back let's spend the time and do it right rather than rushing and having a failure like i'm sure there's still some pandemic concerns but i think it almost seems like they're really taking the time to like evaluate whether or not it's worth the investment yeah and in my opinion i don't think it is uh, cuz again you can do so much so many more things like you could maybe change the whole thing into something completely different something more more akin to a con cuz it seemed like it was going that way anyway so you'd have something like you know yeah dragon con the e3 or like otacon the e3 like type event so that it's more panels more stuff going on rather than so industry inclusive just an event that people would want to gather around rather than one that you're trying to like force a square into a circle like this is what it's always been and we're going to keep trying to like pound at this like change it completely then maybe it just become another weekend people knock off their chart or off their calendars so that they could go to an event have fun do a bunch of stuff with other different people maybe see some cool new stuff new exclusives but nothing like nothing what uh you'd think when you hear the words e3 yeah it would also be cool to see them maybe like model after some other cons that have been successful particularly like looking at those post pandemic maybe that's what they're doing this year is seeing what's what's working what isn't in kind of this new mindset around huge gatherings there are plenty of people that are just ready to go but there's a lot of people that are hesitant and studio de- studio devs and owners included in that. Seeing it with PAX, you know, some of the bigger studios just, they're not going because there's still risk to be considered. But if they did an E3 that was closer to PAX, where it was very fan-centric and, like, based around creating, like, you wander around all these tables and try out these things, but there's also, like, board games and, like, other showings and things like that and events that you can attend and do do like I, I think that was all a part of the e3 experience but pax was on a smaller scale and basically doing the same thing yeah and it it definitely hit more like there were lots of big things but i feel like i associated pax with more indie things that's yeah and i associated e3 with like that's when the Sony untouchable triple a's yeah that's when sony announces their next console but that hasn't been the case Sony announces their next console a month before E3, and then you might get an update about it at E3. <laughs> like, yeah. And honestly, one of the other things I've noticed is like I've tried to ask like younger folks about it, and I say younger like you know eighteen, getting closer into like half our age sort of. You excited deal. about E3? What's that? Exactly. That's the thing. Like, it's. I guess you could put it in the framework of like it's kind of a fossil thing at this point like it's it's old enough that it's it was really exciting in its time like i said it was how we growing up in the mid 2000s got our major video game news of the year that's when they announced the new xbox the new playstation the next nintendo consoles 
It's when we got major game announcements. It's when new studios would show off new technology. You know, and then of course there's the, the kind of the cringy side of it with like b- booth girls and things like that. But there's also legendary moments where I think it was uh, Sega announced the price of the Dreamcast, was it? And then Sony came out and just the whole presentation was just them offering a lower price for their console. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but uh, speaking of Sony, this last month, they announced new PlayStation Plus tiers, which is very interesting because they had PlayStation Now as they're considered their major competitor to things like Game Pass or Nintendo Online. Which was foolish of Sony because it was shit. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't implemented well, and the consoles weren't built around it, and it relied on an inter- a hefty internet service because you weren't downloading games, you were playing them, you were streaming them to your console. And so I think this is probably a smart move for them. Now, what's interesting is that there's different, like, tiers of it whereas like xbox also has tiers but it's it's like you can get game pass but then you can get game pass ultimate and ultimate gives it to you for pc and console whereas you can get it or you can just get it for console or pc this is somewhat similar to that i don't know all the details but there's the base tier that that will stay the same you're like 60 bucks a month or whatever or 60 bucks a year gets you your two to three free games every month your online access to everything, you're good to go. No problems. That doesn't change. But for increasing amounts, you can increase tiers, which gives you access to like collections of games. So the first tier, I think, gives you... Let me pull this up. It gives you... PlayStation Plus Extra gives you downloadable ca- catalog of nearly 400 PS5 and PS4 games. And that is $100 a year for Extra. And then there's Premium, which gives you PS3 game streaming, PS1, PS2, and PSP game catalog for download and streaming, and time-limited game trials. And that tier is $120 a year. So if you if you up it annually... It's a better deal at $120 for the year. I think this is their attempt because Microsoft has done really great with their legacy content and their backwards compatibility. Like you can play original, you can buy and play original Xbox games and Xbox 360 and Xbox One on the latest console. They've got a huge slew of PC games from all eras of PC gaming available on Game Pass. And so to have this service where it does it includes downloading and streaming of PS1, PS2 and PSP game is huge. And then of course the downloadable catalog of nearly 400 PS5 and PS4 games at a, a slightly lower tier. But if you're really looking for that backwards compatibility, that retro content, is it worth $120 a year, which based off of Game Pass's pricing is similar at 10 bucks a month. Yeah, I mean, if you're in it for just the Sony exclusives, maybe. I mean, if you're just wanting to play online like everybody, I'm glad they haven't done any changes. Like, they didn't make that an extra dollar, extra $3 a month, because that would have been really bad. <laughs> uh, leaving it alone was a very smart move to me. And then just building on it. And building up from there was probably the best move, because there are people who are going to want that regardless so yeah. that's good gives them more money options as a business gives people more options to get more things and that's, that's fine uh i don't see anything wrong with it i wish it would be completely expansive so hopefully they continue to add stuff that even like flop into all of those catalogs from like ps1 days and onward yeah so it looks like the list of ps1 ps2 ps3 and psp games included is to reach about 340 titles what those titles are is not been released yet so i think that's going to be a pretty deciding factor for some people like are there games out there on the market on the retro market that are are hard to find or expensive to find that you pay 120 bucks and you can just play any of them for a year that might be worth pursuing yeah and like one game comes to mind and it's just the game that i really enjoyed and that's like the mega man legend series could also see them including uh what is that lunar star story or something like that it's like a series of like jrpgs that are can get very expensive those would be good options for that but there's so many like ps1 titles specifically that have gotten hd upgrades and are available to just play and buy on like the nintendo switch now even with modern upgrades to their gameplay even ps2 is interesting because for a while they were releasing some ps2 classics but they didn't make it very far. They they just they haven't released stopped. them forever. <laughs> so I think, and then PSP will look 
will be a very interesting thing to see on like like you got your your 65 inch 4k tv and you've got a psp game on it yeah (laughs) but hey if if it's if it's a way to finally like play some of these games because i don't think like games like final fantasy 7 on the psp the, the, the side story featuring Zack isn't available for a digital purchase. You have to find a physical copy of it and have a PSP in order to play it. Yep. And so if the, if a title like that makes it on there, that's huge for like game preservation and being able to play retro content. I don't recall seeing anything about any of these being available on PC, which would be a huge draw for me. I mean, I'd have a PS4, but I kind of like having everything here, which yeah. is why I've enjoyed Game Pass, because it, it has allowed me to try out a lot of new things. On the complete opposite spectrum of suddenly having access to a bunch of retro things and having more access to legacy content from the Sony, Nintendo announced the Wii U and 3DS eShop closures coming up in 2023. Which is kind of sad, because there won't be a way to get those things anymore. Yeah, you'll have to rely on that retro market, which yeah. and that'll... is already insanely expensive right now. Yeah, and on top and of that, there'll be worse. the digital-only releases you, you won't be able to get. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you've got them downloaded, or you get a hold of like a cracked ROM somewhere and emulate it. You can't get that anymore, period. That said, there are a ton of articles going out right now with like top 10 or top 20 or best games to get before the Wii U and 3DS eShop closes. So if you're looking for recommendations, you just, you know, do a quick Google search and you'll you'll find so many options. A lot of YouTubers are putting out their recommendations of things to buy. And it's a cheaper way to get a lot of these games right now because the physical versions are way inflated. Except Wii U. Some of the Wii U physicals are still dirt cheap, but I imagine after the store closes, that will no longer be the case. I would imagine, yeah. It is also my understanding that they're not closing access to your content. They are just, no more sales will happen. So you can still re-download things. You will have access to the things you've purchased beyond the closure of the eShop. You just will no longer be able to purchase anymore. I also know that the like 3ds's are like stupidly easy to like hack now so you can just like download roms of games so if if you're in the market for a 3ds which i still sometimes pick mine up i i loved my 3ds i played i was a day one adopter i'm also in the 3d slider all the way up club like i still geek out about that 3d screen on the 3ds like i know a lot of people turned it off and i'm like but it's so cool it was fun. Uh, I I didn't get into it early. I got into it with Monster Hunter Three. Okay, and that's where I got into it. There, uh, you know, got more Animal Crossing. Got into a couple other things with that, and that's where I had my big takeoff for all of those. I've always been a portable gamer. Like my fir- one of my first like consoles, like new consoles, was a Game Boy Color. So like Pokemon and like other Game Boy titles. I loved the DS. I loved the 3DS. Like being on the bus a lot for school. Having that portable gaming in my pocket was always huge for me. At what like my original 3DS, I ended up selling unfortunately because we needed money. But then later on, I I picked up the new 3DS XL, which is awesome, and I I play put probably thousands of hours onto that thing. Even to this day, I will sometimes play through a game on it because it's just still a solid console. And then now with the Switch, I mostly play it in portable mode. Mm-hmm. And that's just like apparently how I like to play games is just like anywhere I want. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is sad that it's it, it is closing. I get it why it's closing. Maybe you know, I don't know the metrics how often things sell on that shop anymore. I'm sure it's gone up recently with people panic buying. But particularly like on the Wii U side with the low adoption rate, I understand why Nintendo wouldn't want to keep those servers up or keep that shop maintained when the switch requires so many resources to maintain and is like so busy with sales probably daily. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be sad to see it go. Uh, hopefully they do some game preservation for it, but Nintendo's got a bad track record of that. Yeah. So hopefully some other people have got a good setup for it uh, and don't get immediately taken down because that seems to also be a thing that keeps happening. That is also true. Something that Nintendo is pretty good about, though, is recognizing when they need to push 
a game out in order to complete it correctly. And Breath of the Wild 2, its release window has been announced for 2023. Not surprising to me. I know a lot of people were excited that it was going to come out this year. And I was like, there's no way. Unless it's like uh, like they're reusing so much from Breath of the Wild in Breath of the Wild 2. But I don't... I think they want to push that even further. I think they want to do more with it. And I think they're going to have to like rebuild some things in order to do it. And that seems to be the case here. I wouldn't be surprised if we start exploring like, you, you know how big the world was in Breath of the Wild. I would not be surprised if we got like a shadow version of it. Like they like they're making like going back to like link to the past. And we're suddenly have a shadow version of the overworld that we also can explore. That would be very cool. And I think that might be why it's taking so long. That's that's my prediction. It could also just be that they've been focused on so many other games because Nintendo has released a lot of content the last few years. Yeah, arguably Nintendo's been the the hot runner of just out-producing and out-quality like, like Xbox and PlayStation. Yeah. While they're battling back and forth with stupid battles, Nintendo's just like, hey guys, here's you some more content. Have fun. We're gonna we're gonna create our new we're gonna create our own game and not worry about this other game that the other two guys are worried about and we're just gonna win our own game. Yeah. They've been doing well. Outside of Breath of the Wild and Nintendo selling nicely, Capcom announced a thirty percent increase in base salaries for their company. That is a huge win for the video game industry. Particularly in the case like Capcom's business model as a triple A developer is so different than say Activision Blizzard or EA where so much of their content has like microtransactions and monthly subscription fees built into it that require you to like constantly be paying money. Capcom's just like, here's a full Monster Hunter game. Here's a remake of Resident Evil 2. Here's a brand new Resident Evil game. And they're all like fairly solid, well-received products finished out the gate they work day one their business model is unlike anything else and it's working for them people are recognizing quality out of capcom and so when they announce a new product people are interested like for monster hunter rather they could just like sell tiny little dlc packs of new monster experiences but instead they wait and sell you a 30 dollars expansion to it at a later date yeah and i like like they have an okay mix of microtransactions to me because they're not needed aside from the DLC. Yeah. It's just like silly cosmetic stuff. Like you want your owl to look like the mechanical owl from what was it? Attack of the Titans. Like, yeah. cool. We got you. Just a buck. <laughs> you give us one doll hair and that's your couch cushion change for a week or some random yeah. stuff from your car junk. And you can you can have your, your pretty owl. Like, not needed won't change anything but i think this is a case of capcom's like really standing their ground on their business model of we are here to make games and provide people with entertainment and that is making them money money to the point that their base salaries are all raised 30 percent, and that's huge that is huge and i'm really glad to see any studio do that because you don't hear that very much you hear way more of oh the ceo just got an extra 20 million dollars bonus for the year ho 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 what a like look at look at the crap year activision had with the lawsuits and sexual assault allegations and work culture being full of like misogyny and sexism and racism and like crunch culture and things like that but then on top of that they're releasing things like the latest call of duty which was not received well at all. And Call of Duty hasn't been received well at all in like six iterations. But they're still stick. They're still convinced that this is the way to do it. Like, and I don't think it's working for them. Right now, like I'll give them a little like the Warzone was a good reception. People really liked it. But now they've stopped supporting it because their new game is out. Yeah, and other than that, like the one of the same things that they always have problems with is really bad hackers, and they do not have a robust enough system in place to keep that sort of thing muddled out. They started kind of like filtering it. So once you were flagged with hacking something, you were just shuffled into like a hacker pile. So you were always kind of matched with others like you, but it's still, that's not quite enough. Yeah. It's, and the, the thing is, is like on paper, I can see how like what they're doing on paper looks really good. Like, oh, we just sell sell people what they want. They want this like this special gun or this skin 
or this add-on pack. We'll just keep selling them. Oh, we'll sell them season passes. We'll sell them all these little bobs and ends and odds and ends and things and whatever. And that's where we'll make all our money. Except if people don't buy your base game because you forgot to make a game that was good, your microtransactions don't happen. Right. The only people who are buying your microtransactions are people who are buying the game. And I know longtime Call of Duty fans who skipped the last one because of the reviews that came out for it. And there's also shady things like for the review cycle, the game won't have microtransactions. And then two weeks or a month after the game is out, microtransactions are suddenly introduced into the game. And it's clear that they were there from the beginning. Yeah. And so it's hurting people's perceptions of these brands. Like there's a reason people shit all over EA. There's a reason people shit all over Activision and Blizzard right now. And it's because people are seeing this as ways to make money rather than to provide something of quality. Yep. But Capcom is different and they're cool. We like we're 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 Capcom fans here at Forever Classic. So good job Capcom. It's very exciting. Yeah, glad to see that. Sometimes Capcom does some dumb shit, but you know what? They're way lower on the dumb shit pole than everybody else. They they could be Konami. They could be Konami. (laughs) Drive off their their best developer designer and then turn all their properties into gambling machines. Shame. I mean, it it has to be making them money, otherwise they wouldn't do it, right? I don't know. They could just be stupid. That (laughs) I I I would need to see some hard numbers. March was full, like, I think it's clear to say February was like a heavy hitter month with its releases. Like, we had Elden Ring, we had Horizon Forbidden West, and uh, those were, like, that was basically all anyone was talking about was Elden Ring for a while. But March had its own slew of releases. I know Alex is excited for Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origins, which is basically like a grunge mid-2000s retelling of the first Final Fantasy. <laughs> like, if at any point in this game, the like Green Day just started playing, it wouldn't surprise me. That's just like how <laughs> mid-2000s this game is. Yep. Ghostwire Tokyo looks awesome. I've heard good things. Uh, I know... One of the contributors here did an interview about it recently for one of the publications he writes for. And I think it's maybe working on a review for us. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it seems like people are excited about it. Yeah, looked awesome. Little Gamer and I picked up Kirby in the Forgotten Land. It is a joy to play. <laughs> we spend so much time laughing and giggling at all the odd things that Kirby like becomes and like this mouthful mode where he just like puts his mouth over something and then just like controls it like so like he just has his mouth like over a car and then you drive the car around or he's suddenly a soda machine or he's a a flight of stairs (laughs) we we've had a lot of fun playing through it oh kirby is great i'll have Uh, which uh, according to this note from alex is japan's biggest kirby release so there's like a bigger appeal to it this time around actually i added that in and it is oh you did yeah they they released uh that is the biggest kirby release and it's now the most sold kirby of all time that's awesome yeah and if it finished second most sold like game it finished above elden ring in japan and below pokemon arceus that's probably because everyone already bought elden ring and no one else (laughs) needed to buy it uh But, um, yeah, and I don't know if that was just, like, taking launch numbers, but either way, like, it's awesome. It's huge. Yeah. I, I Kirby is always, like, the, the core formula is Kirby eats, like, an enemy and gets a power, right? Outside of that, they have had no issues experimenting with that. But it's always been a fairly easy, fairly simple platformer experience. And this time around, it feels like they took a little bit of a note out of like the 3d Mario land or world like play of tricks. So it's still like level based and like world based or whatever, but it's not like it's, it's not open world. Like I thought it was going to be, which is fine, but it is like 3d centric. You go up and down things and you have like full control of where to go up and down and left and right, all of it. And it also just like the way it's presented and the way it feels also feels a little bit like when Mario Odyssey came out. Like, you get a little bit of way into the game and you get, like, a theme song of Kirby. Like, Kirby's, like, is, like, eating the car. 
and driving around and you get this like little like road trip like indie rock song that kind of like plays as you as you go along and it's super fun it's funny you mentioned that because i just sent you a fantastic tiktok with a different song for that (laughs) okay i'll have to take a look at it after we're done anybody else who wants to see it it is in our general chat of the discord so please come in and enjoy i'll I'll have to take a look at that in a second anything else come out that uh you think is worth uh mentioning or that you know about off top of my head tunic but that's the only other thing Oh, yeah. And that came out on Game Pass day one, so people could play it right away who are Game Pass. I watched a colleague of ours, Mike Robles, play it a little bit, and it looks very cute. But he was it was also apparently somewhat challenging. He was struggling with a boss. So it's it's definitely in that realm of, like, it's a very cute presentation, but it's kind of like Hades or Death's Door in its, like, gameplay, where you, like, go through these, like, sections of challenges and levels and things. Uh, I don't know... I, I don't know, and I don't think it's a roguelike, but it could be. I don't I know very little about, about it, but it looks very cute. It looks like a game I would give to Little Gamer, I would give to my daughter, but then 20 minutes later she'd be, like, yelling and mad at it because apparently <laughs> it's, it has some challenge. Yeah, it looks adorable. Uh, looks hard. Definitely something if you're, you're into the, like, cutesy adventure, go for it. Very cool. And I think that about wraps it up for us here at Forever Classic Games. Those are the major things that we came across for the month of March going into April. We're excited to see what April will bring. I know we've got Chrono Cross re-release coming out later this month. That's the one that I'm most excited about because I've never played that game. And I recently tried to buy it on the PlayStation Store for the Vita as a PlayStation 1 Classic. I mean, I guess I could have played it on PSP or PS3 as well. But I was looking forward to... What am I going to play when I'm done with Persona? And I was like, oh, I'll grab the PS1 Classic for Chrono Cross. It's no longer on there. It was removed from the PlayStation Store. And so shortly afterwards, seeing that announcement for like the Dreamers edition of Chrono Cross, which includes extra content that was exclusive to Japan, I'm excited to play that and probably worthwhile picking up on the Switch. Yeah. Anything you're looking forward to? A break. There's a lot going on in a lot of games. Like, I'm not even halfway through Elden Ring. Like, I'm really enjoying my Tiny Tina-like detour. There's just a lot to do. Uh, And as we come into summer, I hope, I imagine I'll end up with some more time. Got a lot of life stuff still going on that's kind of eating up some time. This year is definitely front-loaded for a lot of people, I think. So I think as the year goes on, people will find themselves being able to, like, maybe catch back up a little bit, hopefully. Unless we get some surprise releases throughout the year. But... Yeah, heading into spring, you're doing landscaping, I'm doing some yard work and some gardening, and we've got lots of games to play. Thank you for joining me today, Zach. It's been a lot of fun as usual. Always, man. It's always great to be here with you. Where can people find you if they wanted to get in touch? I am Exquisite Liar on pretty much all social media. You can find me, except for Twitter is Exquisite underscore Liar, and that's it. And I am at the Daddy Gamer on Twitter. That's where you can find me. Or Daddy Gamer YT on Twitch is probably the best places to get in touch with me or to hang out with me. Thank you for watching, everybody. Till next time, have fun, stay cool, play some games.